sweet sounds of Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass means it's time once again for Fangraphs Audio. Today we have our second installment ever of Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor and occasional destroyer. On today's show we have guests Matt Clausen and Dave Cameron uh, in our second roundtable to discuss in particular uh, free agents who have yet to find a home we look initially at Johnny Damon, whose name we invoked last week, but who I think maybe we didn't cover thoroughly enough. We look at Jermaine Dye. We look at uh, Russell Branding as well, and what might be keeping him from signing. Furthermore, uh, we finish off with some notes on Mike Jacobs, Felipe Lopez, and Chin Men Wong on today's edition of Fangraphs Audio. Welcome once again to... Uh, Fangraphs Audio, we have again a, a roundtable here. We are involved, uh, we're in deep this time. We have we have Dave Kerman here, the uh, editor of Fangraphs, editor of USS Mariner. I guess part-time contributor as well to the uh, Wall Street Journal. I, I had forgotten that, Dave Kerman. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. All right, there, there you go. Uh, we also have uh, with us once again, you may know him as Devil Fingers. He is the, uh, the most beloved writer uh, at Fangraphs, certainly by Mets fans and Royals fans. His name is Matt Clausen. Hey, hello, Cleveland. Yeah. Now, matter. Uh, I think we might have some uh, some ways for you to endear yourself even even more to uh, Mets fans today. That's Dave's fault. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. Right now, okay. So we'll get into that. There is one thing we didn't really finish last week. I, we invoked the name of Johnny Damon, uh, and then I think we just spiraled downward from there. So let's do it for reals this time. Johnny Damon is projected at about two and a half wins by Sean, Sean however, which uh, as far as I could tell is the highest war available among any free agents. And it, the, the Johnny Damon saga is getting sadder by the day. Mr. Dave Cameron, sorry, Dave, uh, what's, what's happening with Johnny Damon? Is he going to sign soon? Is he going to be worth the money that he does sign for? Will it be worth more than that? What's going on? Well, I think the latest rumors uh, per yesterday, or Thursday, Ken Rosenthal reported that the uh, the Tigers had been seduced by uh, Scott Boris, which you know brings up interesting things. How you know did Boris like take Mike Illich out to dinner? Did he like bring him roses? I mean, you really there's some curious questions about how this all happened. But they they've uh, convinced the Tigers to start bidding on Johnny Damon, and it actually makes a lot of sense. I think the reported offer is something like 214, uh, which is a, honestly, is a bargain for a player of Johnny Damon's quality, even in this market. Uh, Damon has that one glaring flaw when he throws the baseball and he looks like a six-year-old, but beyond that, he's really good at baseball, and everything else he does makes up for the lack of throwing. Um, $7 million a year for two years for a player of Damon's quality is, is a, quite the deal and would really help the Tigers after what I would consider to be a not very good offseason. So yeah. I think uh, 214 for Damon from Detroit makes a lot of sense for both Damon and the Tigers. If he turns this down, he's a little crazy. And if they don't offer him this, they're a little crazy. So I think uh, this is actually a deal that makes sense for both sides. Matt, Dave Cameron says that Johnny Damon has the throwing arm of a six-year-old. I'll say he might have one other thing in common, maybe the emotional maturity. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, how many... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got Damon. I mean, what you know? I've also heard that he uh, apparently there's a the new article out today that he thinks uh, a Ted Nugent is really awesome. 
Is that news though? I mean, everyone knows that oh, yeah, Ted Nugent is awesome. <laughs> well, Motor City Madman. Uh, the thing about uh, was it? I don't know how to pronounce the name. Yeiserman? Iserman? Iserman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, this guy. You know, David's been one of the better uh, outfielders. Uh, well, he's been a good outfielder, I should say, the last few years. He was really, really good back in the late '90s, early 2000s, and now he's basically having to pull out these really pathetic publicity things. He had Boris to try and get him a get him a job, and it's uh, kind of pressing. But uh, at this point, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I agree that uh, about his his, qual- his general overall quality as a player. Uh, having said that, I I'm not sure he's right for the Tigers for two reasons. One, I don't see how much better he is than Ryan Rayburn. I mean, I, I assume they're going to play that, that that everyone agrees. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. The Damon won't play center anymore. They're stuck with Maglio. We could uh, getting into the Tigers. Fiasco, starting with letting Maglio's option vest is just is too much. And, and so then they have uh, for left field they have Carlos Guillen who can't stay healthy. It sounds like he's going to be the primary DH. So then they have they bring in David. Well then they have Ryan Rayburn. And I, now look, uh, Rayburn was, was no awesome prospect. Was no awesome prospect. He's a little older, but he has hit well. And I don't think he's. I, I wouldn't say he's worse than Damon defensively. He, he, it might be a little bit better in left field. Uh, I don't see the advantages. I think he's a two two and a half win player too. At least uh, Chone hasn't better than that. But I, I try to be conservative. And even if you think, but even if you think Damon's half a win better than Rayburn, which I think is, is generous to Damon, uh, Detroit's not contending this year. I, I I don't see the you know what I mean. So we're talking about the marginal value of a win is uh, you know maybe increasing your chances of coming in second in the division and not going to the playoffs. Is that worth you know seven million dollars? A year for that extra half win. So I'm not knocking Damon as a player. Um, I guess where I disagree with Dave is I don't think it works for the Tigers. I don't. I don't see them contending in that division. I think the Twins are going to run away with it. And I'm not. And frankly, I'm not sure that the Tigers are even the third best team in the division. Well, okay, yeah. Let's uh, let's take up this point. I'm sort of curious about the the Rayburn situation and and the Damon's marginal value over him. Uh, Dave Dave Cameron, do you do you see Rayburn as uh, you know potentially sticking in left field? And do you think that Damon, um, I mean, he's not necessarily blocking him because, again, Rayburn is probably, you know, developed uh, to the degree that he's going to be, except for lacking ML at bats. But do you think that uh, Damon just re- is really not that great an improvement over Rayburn? Well, I think this goes back to a little bit the conversation that Matt and I had last week because he didn't really like the uh, Gabe Gross pickup for the A's for a similar reason where they already had three guys and. Uh, I think that having four good outfielders on your team is a good idea, and uh, apparently Matt does not. He, he wants you to have three good outfielders and then someone terrible to back them up. <laughs> oh, I, I, snap! Know, <laughs> I, I think, like, between Magdalene Oradonia being 184 years old, uh, having a rookie center fielder who's honestly not that good, Austin Jackson, I think is fairly overrated. Uh, having I agree Johnny with Damon, that. Who, uh, you know, Johnny Damon, who's probably not going to be a 162-game guy, there's playing time for Ryan Rayburn. This is not Johnny Damon or Ryan Rayburn. This is Johnny Damon and Ryan Rayburn. I think you can get Rayburn probably into 100 games or so as a defensive replacement for Ordonez, as a guy who's going to play when Austin Jackson's 0 for 32. Uh, you know, I think there's ways you can get Ryan Rayburn playing time and still make him a valuable player. He's probably not good enough to play every day. I, I, don't, I don't think I would go as far as Matt is to call him a two, two and a half win player. I think he's probably more of a one and a half win player. I think he's a really solid role player who would get exposed if he played 500, 600 bats a year. But I think that there's 
root 400 at-bats for him on this team with Ordonez and Austin Jackson and Johnny Damon as your three starters, there's room for Ryan Rayburn to play. So I don't really see this as an either-or. I think this is a both. And I think for that reason, it's an upgrade. Well, okay, so so uh, somewhere uh, during that incredibly erudite answer, you mentioned that uh, you know you can have uh, three outfielders and one bad one, three good ones and one bad one, or four good, out- four good outfielders. Let's talk about a super bad one. That's Jermaine Dye. He's still currently a free agent. And he's been not quite as pathetic as Johnny Damon, but he's getting there. Um, we had a couple of great posts yesterday on the site. Uh, one was from, um, uh, sorry, was it Mr. Pavel, Pavela? Oh boy, Joe. Joe yeah, right. It was Joe. <laughs> Joe Pavel- <P>. Pavelus. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's very long. It's like six syllables long. Uh, but he was talking but there's about. No, there's no V. There's no V in it. No, those are Polish W's, though. <laughs> the Polish W. That sounds like a euphemism for something. <laughs> the, uh, no, all right, so it was Joe's article, I believe, in which he was talking about the four reasons um, why Die is not finding employment. You gave a fifth reason. That's because he's right-handed. What What are Die's prospects right now? I mean, do you have an idea of where he's going to end up? Yeah, you know, I think, like, my guess is Jermaine Dye is going to end up with a team like Cleveland or Toronto or something like that who has first base DH at bats available, probably doesn't fashion themselves as much of a contender, but could get him on the cheap for two or three million dollars, or maybe even less than that, honestly, and, uh, give him, you know, 400, 500 at bats where he'll solidify a young lineup, make them not embarrassing, and then they can try and trade him in July. Like, that's really his best chance is sign with a team who is willing to give him at bats because he's not blocking anyone better, uh, see if he can handle first base. If he can't, then he can move to DH. And then if you have another good first half, they can flip him for a prospect. I don't think like any contender is interested in giving him any kind of regular playing time, and apparently his ego is too large to realize that at this point he's a role player. Yeah, Matt, Matt Klausen, do you see, do you see a, something similar for Jermaine Dye? Do you put him in the field at all? No. I mean, I'm <laughs> boringly, I'm in almost complete agreement with Dave, except that, I mean, look, you look at the guy... I mean, at this point, he's basically Ryan Garko, except older. So, yeah, I mean, I, team should. I mean, if a team passed on Ryan Garko at five fifty, I mean, I, obviously they might see things differently than I do. <laughs> I, I don't see why they would. Uh, <laughs> well, you're talking about a team that would use that would use reason. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, and I am being the embodiment of reason. Then I will speak for <laughs> that. Uh, if a team passed on Garko, at, what did he get from Seattle? Uh, Five fifty plus playing time incentives. Why yeah, are they so going like, to total package could be worth a million dollars if he plays full time? Yeah, why are they going to pay? Why it doesn't make sense for to me to pay three million dollars for Jermaine Die? I mean, if you're you can you're barely getting. You know, this is something uh, that would be a whole other podcast. Uh, prospects, you're not getting. I mean, great great players aren't pulling in the prospects they did three or four years ago at the trade deadline. And so I don't know what you're going to get for, uh, you know, a, a one-win DH. Well, do you okay. sign – I mean, let's move on to another free agent. we got Russell Brannion still available. Do, I mean, in, yeah. your, in your world uh, – we'll start with Matt Clausen here. In your world, does, you know, does Russell Brannion, does he get signed way before Jermaine Dye? I don't know. I mean, it seems like he may have been – I don't know what they were holding out for at the beginning of the year. Dave, Dave can address that more. I mean, part of that depends on what teams think of his back. I don't know about that. I mean, obviously, he missed, what, about a month, in the, at least a month, about around a month in the second half. Uh, didn't exactly kill my fantasy run, but it didn't help it. <laughs> but in real baseball, I mean, obviously, people have concerns about his back. But I, I'm not sure. I haven't 
I don't have enough information to say how much the back situation. I mean, obviously it's a combination, but how the, the interplay between what he and his agent are looking for and what the back situation is. He's a he's a way, he's the best hitter left. On, I mean, in just terms in terms of pure hitting. So for teams looking for a DH, uh, a first base type, I think he's the uh, at, at per at bat. He's the best. Uh, he's the best hitter left easily. Uh, I think uh, his platoon splits aren't as bad as people think they are. I mean, they're not great, but they're not huge. I mean, we're not talking about uh, some other hitter with a really bad platoon split who I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, and he's not. And he can play a competent first base. You know, he's not going to Mike Jacobs you out there. Uh oh. But it, depend, it depends. On how, <laughs> it depends on how many games he can play. I, the White Sox should be all over Brandon if they think they're contending. And if anybody has a shot at the Twins, it's the White Sox. The Mets, uh, here we go. Uh, uh, I mean, if they if they really don't believe in, in Murphy at first, I can't tell what's going on there. But if they really are going to go for it, which might be kind of suicidal this season, because I I'm, I was surprised when I looked. I mean, they have such a great core, but Brandon would make sense there. It really just depends. I, to me, it depends on his health. Right. Yeah, now, uh, Dave Kramen, the... Um Matt Clausen there was just talking about, uh, oh, oh bloody hell, who did you say? The uh, David Murphy, David Murphy, Daniel Murphy, Dan, Daniel Murphy. Daniel I Murphy. Think Matt Clausen was actually talking about every player in baseball. That was a really long answer, Matt. Yeah, that's right. All right. Did you? Oh, we? He, well, this is all scripted. I think we all know that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, is Daniel Murphy gonna stick at first base? And if he doesn't, Dave, does that mean that Mike Jacobs is gonna be their first baseman? Well, I don't think Daniel Murphy should stick at first base on any team that's trying to win anything, but uh, the Mets are not, um, I don't know how to put this kind of thing, the Mets are not very well run. So trying to predict what the Mets are going to do is... So you're going out, you're going out, Dave's going out on a limb. I, I know, I'm really extending myself here. Uh, you know, deciding that Omar Minaya is going to do any certain thing is kind of folly because you just never know. He could be fired in any minute and they could hire, like, Big Bird to replace him and it wouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> Like, uh, what are the Mets going to do? I have no idea. What they should do, we've got lots of suggestions. Firing everybody in the front office would be a good start. And so then from that point, who the new guy would want to play first base, well, that guy would probably be better than Daniel Murphy. Well, okay, Matt Clossett, can you top Dave Cameron in your uh, ability to enrage Mets fans? I th- well, no, look, th- this is this is Dave's fault. The whole contest thing, I mean, I which I think is totally fair. Manaya and Moore both are horrible um, but I did not apply. It was it was not about. Is it Fernando Tatis? I did not apply that to Tatis. That was Dave. That's all Dave. That, that was and, so 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 blame Dave. So blame <laughs> Dave for the Tatis thing. But I I don't. You know, what can we say about the Mets? I, I wanted to hear Dave talk about what he thinks is going on with Brandon's back. I mean, obviously it's hurt. But what was he looking for? I mean, there was a rumor that he was looking for three twenty. That was just really unrealistic. What did he turn down from the Mariners? Because it would have been. I mean. We can get those what if situations. If obviously they they wanted it back for something. Yeah. If, so like what the, I remember, the report at the beginning of the offseason is Brandon was their first choice at first base. They before he entered free agency, they offered him a one year deal, which was speculated. No one really knows, but it was about three million ish with a team option for the second year uh, that was heavily dependent on uh, playing time and you know not spending time on the disabled list. Um, and he essentially wanted that either turned into a player option or just guaranteed, and the Mariners said, no chance, you have a herniated disc in your back, there's no way we're going to give you two years. You can go out in the market, and if you can get a two-year deal, good on you, but if you if you can't, you know, we got a one-year deal waiting for you. And Brandon took so long that they finally just figured out, 
you know what, uh, we're, we're going to go another direction. And, you know, one of the interesting things is, um, so <laughs> this is one of those weird underreported stories that probably should be out there more often. Brandon basically decided not to go on the rehab path that his doctor gave him and do his own thing and uh, tweaked his back in early November. And uh, so then he started realizing, hey, look, this guy... Uh, has a herniated disc in his back that he did not have surgery on, and then he decided apparently that the doctor-advised plan for how to get better wasn't a good idea. I don't think I want to guarantee this guy a lot of money. So um, I think Brandon's uh, made a lot of mistakes this winter, and he's going to be lucky to end up with a one-year low base with some incentives for some kind of team that will give him a couple hundred plate appearances. He's not going to be a full-time first baseman for anyone probably ever again. He, he really misplayed his hands. Well, I think I think it's clear that uh, we can say Brannion got back problems. Oh, man. Awful. That's the worst joke in podcast history. <laughs> Let's, uh... Now that we can... joke is... The, that's the Mike Jacobs of, of, of podcast history. Yeah, so big. Well, you know what? You you keep swinging, and sometimes you hit one out. I prefer to be think of as a Juan Francisco, He's <laughs> a, a young Mike. I'm a young Mike Jacobs. But um, wait, okay, yeah, all right, easy, easy. I, all right, let's go on. Uh, so I, to I, feel the, ter- I feel I feel terrible saying that because I, I know some people who have interacted with Mike Jacobs. He's a terrible baseball player, but I I just want to say that he's apparently like a great guy. I mean, a really wonderful person. So, I mean, but you know, this is fan graphs. You got to be honest. You know, he's terrible. Wait, but, what? But no, but it's, it's, because let's let's be clear about it. The problem isn't Mike Jacobs. I, I think that we're not saying anything bad about Mike Mike Jacobs. It's the PR, fact that he can't, he's terrible. Well, no, he's bad at baseball, but most people are bad at baseball, right? You, the thing that we're discussing here is the unwise moves that the team makes. Right, right. You know, I mean, if Mike if Mike Jacobs can make. Well, he's only signed to a minor league contract now. But for example, with the, you know, with any of the, if he ever gets a deal, if he makes major league money, good for Mike Jacobs, especially if he is a nice guy. The problem is where, where if you're a fan of a team, you're at the mercy of your general manager, right? And if you're just witnessing there, you know, like like Dave Cameron had to do for you know what a good four or five years with Bill Bavese, like you Matt Clausen have to do with Dave Moore, it's not you're not mad at Mike Jacobs. You're just you're at the uh, you know the mercy of your GM, and that's it. So, yeah, and I, I think I will throw this out there. In defense of the Mets and the Mike Jacobs signing, there's nothing wrong with giving Mike Jacobs a minor league contract and invite to spring training. Like when I destroyed the right. Royals last year for trading for Mike Jacobs, we was making three and a half million dollars and significantly blocking better players. That that was a bad move. Giving no, Mike I Jacobs a, agree. an invite to spring training and uh, letting him compete with Daniel Murphy for some first base at bats is not the end of the world. He's guaranteed nothing, and if he actually hits the ball pretty well and the guy has some power. You know, if he provides a, uh, whatever, a 320 Woba and bad defense for $450,000, that's not the end of the world. It's not good, but it's not the end of the world. The Mets didn't do anything wrong by signing Mike Jacobs. I don't think anyone's criticizing the Mets for giving Mike Jacobs a minor league deal. Well, we were, we were criticizing the Royals for giving him a uh, $3.5 million contract, trading for him and having him block better players. Well, okay, so now, I don't know. I, I forget exactly how much. Hello? Yeah. Is everyone okay? okay? Yep. Yeah. Okay, good. Very good. Um, I don't know how much Kyle Farnsworth is getting paid right now. My guess is that one of you two does. But it four looks and like a half. Four and a half? Four and a half for 2010, yeah. Four and a half for 2010. Now, another thing that might be happening in 2010 is he might find himself a starter in a starting role. Uh, Dave, you wrote about that yesterday, I believe it was, on the uh, on the site. You, you, you think that maybe it might not be a terrible idea, it might not be a great idea, uh, but at least the Royals are trying? Is that the is that your analysis? 
you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I wouldn't go to Vegas and put money on it working if it was 50-50. Like, I don't necessarily think that Kyle Farnsworth is going to break camp with the Royals as one of the starting pitchers. They actually have a pretty decent rotation. Uh, they also have Robinson Tejeda, who they don't have a spot for, who actually pitched pretty well out of the rotation last year when they tried this bullpen to start a conversion. Uh, I just give them credit for trying, because Kyle Farnsworth on the Royals as a middle reliever is totally worthless. Like, that is just, he's not, you know, his t- absolute upside is maybe plus one win on a team that's not going anywhere. Uh, he won't rack up any saves. They're not going to get anything for him at the deadline. He's still going to be seen around baseball as a little bit of a head case who doesn't live up to his results. So there's no, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. There's like zero upside to the Royals leaving Kyle Farnsworth in the bullpen. There are reasons to believe that this could actually work. Now maybe it's a 10% chance, maybe it's a 30% chance. I'm not sure what the odds of it working are, but there are some reasons to believe that Kyle Farnsworth could transition into being a pretty decent number four, number five starter, and all of a sudden you have a uh, guy who throws, you know, I think what Bob McClure said, throws with his hair on fire, but you can do that for five or six innings um, and rack up a decent first three months of the season. All of a sudden at the trading deadline, You've got a guy who's making $2 million for the rest of the season, who throws hard, who gets both righties and lefties out, who racks up a lot of strikeouts, who has comes with no long-term significant contract obligations. That's a pretty good trade chip right there. And so uh, there's no reason for the Royals not to try this. And I know a lot of Royals fans are like, well, they should have tried Joe Kim Soria if you're going to move anyone. But Soria's got a history of arm problems. They had all kinds of issues keeping him healthy last year, moving him into the rotation and keeping him healthy doesn't seem likely. Uh, Farnsworth has been uh, a horse for most of his career. He, he hasn't had the arm problems that Soria has. I think that this is a terrific move for the Royals. It might not work, but they're, they're, they should absolutely get a lot of credit for trying it because there's real payoff and real upside here, and they basically took a sunk cost and turned it into a potential asset. All right. Well, I, uh, I think we're probably to the end of our run here, but there are a couple, uh, couple three guys that I just want to ask each of you about quickly. Um, Maybe give me a couple teams, a number, you know, whether you think it's going to be a good signing or not. How does that sound? Sure. Yeah, good. All right. Matt Clausen, you're on board, too, or are you uh, quietly abstaining? Yep, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Okay, let's try it out. The first guy I want to talk about is Felipe Lopez. Uh, I'll, this, I'll put this to you, Matt Clausen, first. What is he going to make the Orlando Hudson's $5 million one year? Because he's a pretty similar player. What do you think? He should. Um, but I don't know how many spots there are left for him. Uh, if he can play third base, he might work on the Twins. Although honestly, Nick Punto is such a great fielder that he, he would be a huge, a, 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 a huge asset. But then again, uh, Minnesota would be so thin on the bench then it might make a lot of sense for them. I mean, that would again maybe add maybe only a win in the extra in the regular season, but would give them depth uh, for injuries. And this is the team that is looking as sure thing to win their division as any other team in baseball outside of the Yankees. So. Uh, they need to go. They, they they need to go for it. Uh, he might also make sense. <laughs> Honestly, I like Mark Tian, but uh, Lopez might also make sense on the White Sox uh, because Tian. Uh, I mean, I like Mark Tian as a person, but uh, he's he's about as good a defensive third baseman as Josh Fields was, uh, which is you know bad. Right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe even uh, maybe even Oakland, depending on uh, Mark Ellis's health, uh, which is always a question. And uh, I'm not sure who is behind Ellis on the depth chart. Uh, I don't think Sokar is ready for the for the majors yet. Those are just off the top of my head. Okay, good. And Dave Cameron, Felipe Lopez. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I would say something, but again, Matt covered every team in baseball apparently. Uh, <laughs> no, I think uh, Felipe Lopez will get probably three million ish. The thing with uh, Lopez compared to Orlando Hudson is Lopez has kind of a reputation of being. Uh, 
slacker, and uh, a lot of teams aren't big fans of his work ethic, dating back to his days in Toronto. Um, so I think Lopez, even if he's a similar player, Orlando Hudson will have to take a laziness discount, and so I think he'll sign for probably two and a half, three million, something like that. Um, I can actually see him being a pretty good fit in St. Louis if they can find some money for him. He could play third, he could play second. Uh, you know, they probably even second him at shortstop if Brendan Ryan is uh, not going to be able to start the season, and you know they could have cover your eyes, bad defense at short, but. I think there's a uh, Felipe Lopez will find a home, but it's not going to be for five million dollars. I like the lazy man's discount. Actually, when I was negotiating my contract with Dave Appleman, he said that's what I was receiving. <laughs> it doesn't seem fair at all. But um, let's do one more. Chin Man, well Wong, how, how, whatever, however you say his first name there. Uh, Chin Man Wong, the Yankees sinker baller, no longer a Yankee. Where does he end up, and for how much? And we'll start with Dave Cameron. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like the Nationals are by far the leading contenders. Uh, I know Pete Abraham reported that the deal was done, and everyone said it's not true, but it seems like one of those things where uh, maybe Pete just knows something that the Nationals aren't going to confirm yet, and then next week they'll be like, oh, yeah, just kidding, Pete was right. Um, so it sounds like he's going to end up with the Nationals for maybe a couple million dollars with some incentives. They could push it up to like five or six million if he pitches well, which, you know, it makes a lot of sense because uh, the Nationals have the kind of uh, – rotation that could use some help and Wong provides some real upside. I mean, he's a, a significant ground ball pitcher who's throwing behind Ryan Zimmerman and, uh, you know, I think that he could actually have a decent year in the National League and potentially reestablish some value and um, I think it's a good fit for, for his particular style of play um, and the Nationals need pitching. So I, I think it actually makes a lot of sense. There's not a whole lot of other teams out there that seem to be too interested. The Dodgers apparently pulled off and he only wants to pitch on the coast. He rules out all of middle America for not having good enough Taiwanese food, so um, I think that I would guess he'll end up in the nation's capital for a couple million dollars. <laughs> do you, uh, do you, Matt Clausen, think that his decision will be uh, decided by the cuisine in the city he ends up? Uh, well, either that or uh, I mean, he's probably really eager to to, to pitch in front of Adam Dunn if he plays first. But if that, you know, there have been rumors that Dunn might move back to the outfield. Uh, oh God! And so, in, in, in which case, <laughs> and in that case, it would be really, really good. I, I would go on a limb and say it would behoove the Nationals to get as many ground ballers as possible. You know, the, the, <laughs> just maybe to come full circle. Did anybody else see this rumor that the Nationals were interested in Jacobs and they were going to put yeah. him in first and, and yeah. Dunn had left? I would, I would probably drive down to Washington D.C. to see that. That would be so awesome. That's true. Well, I, don't, I don't think you have to. You, you could just wrap your car around a telephone pole and have the same effect. <laughs> there you go. Uh, listener, it's only the hardest-hitting news and analysis here at Fangraphs Audio. Uh, for, for Matt Clausen, thank you very much, sir. For, good night, Springton. There will be no encore. Yes, very good. Uh, for Dave Cameron, thank you very much, sir. Uh, no problem. No problem. I am Carson Stooley, and this has been a hard-hitting Fangraphs Audio Roundtable. Thank you very much. That was a hard-hitting roundtable. Uh, once again, that was second edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, just as a reminder, we will have actually another edition of Fangraphs Audio this Wednesday for you, in which we talk with prospect mavens and Fangraph contributors Brian Smith and Mark Hewlett. Uh, the podcast will concern players who appear to be... Um, in line for playing time this year. Also, I'd uh, like to remind you about the Fangraphs Second Opinion, the fantasy companion book that we are releasing here from Fangraphs. That should be available sometime next week. Don't quote me on it.
Don't quote me on it. Thank you once again for joining us here at Fangraphs Audio. Until Wednesday. Thank you.